I'm Tony Pringley, your host for the Diversified Podcast, a space where we celebrate and amplify the voices of entrepreneurs from underrepresented backgrounds. On my podcast, you'll hear firsthand from those who have maneuvered through various barriers and have taken a chance and made their business dreams into a reality. Let's go. Welcome back to the Diversified Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Pringley, and I'm so happy you're joining us again today. Today, we will be chatting with Yessi Downs, the founder of Oxford Comma Collective. Oxford Comma Collective is a team of Latinx, Black, Asian, queer, disabled, and women copywriters using their skills to help amplify the voices of their communities. They push to create communications that are authentic and true to their clients by pairing them with writers who share similar experiences and backgrounds. On this episode, you'll get the opportunity to learn more about Oxford Comma Collective, how to balance a day job and being a founder, and also the power of pivoting within your life or career. Let's get this conversation started. How are you, Yessi? Good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Every time I get a chance to do a podcast, I feel like I take it because it's, I just love having conversations and and sharing my story. So this is always so exciting for me. So thank you for reaching out. Yeah. And there's always power in uh, sharing your story and I'm excited to hear more about your story today. So let's go ahead and hop in. So I like to start with asking each founder that I interview about their aha moment. And this is really the moment that really prompted you to create um, your business. So can you tell us the aha moment that prompted you to create Oxford comma collective? Yeah, I talk about this a lot because I don't think I had one aha moment. I think I had several aha moments where, and I think you'll see that Oxford comma is kind of a combination of all of them. But I think the first aha moment that I had was I was 25 and I just started advertising and I got into the space and immediately I was like, whoa, this space of marketing and advertising is very white. I was being mm. asked to write in a voice that didn't feel authentic to me, but also didn't feel authentic to the audience because people, when we talk about general audience, people really think that we're talking about a white audience because that's the the dominant, uh, that's, you know, predominantly the audience is white, but we're really a diverse mass, right? Like we mm-hmm. are people who are, are black and brown and indigenous and all kinds of people. And it was weird to me that I was often asked to fit into this box of whiteness so that was my first moment where I was like something needs to change here the way that people are speaking to people needs to change here because we're speaking in one way when we exist in so many other ways so that was the first one then my next aha moment was I was 25 so I had a career change when I ended up in advertising and I went from making pretty good money to making garbage money spoiler alert junior copywriters are not out here balling. They're not, they're yeah. not making money. They're not Jeff Bezos. So I was like, well, how do I supplement this income? And I was like, duh, I'll freelance. Everybody talks about freelance, but when I tried to do it, it was almost impossible. It was so hard. One mm. people were like, oh, well, I want you to write a pamphlet. So I need to see that you've written a pamphlet. Well, I was like, well, I don't have a pamphlet that I've written, but I know that I can write it. So it was, I didn't know how to get clients. I didn't know what to charge. I didn't know how to get started. It was so difficult outside of like going on Fiverr and selling my words for two cents a word, like which 
just never felt right with me. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, something should exist to make it easier for writers to freelance. So that was like my second moment. And then my yeah. third moment was I had a ton of friends who were starting businesses and they would kind of outsource the branding and outsource some writing and do all this stuff. And what would come back was something that felt like it was mirroring the so- like the social media landscape, the digital landscape, but not really mirroring that person. It felt like the most unique part about them, the most unique part about that business was my friend. And it was just stripped to fit whatever was out in the world. It wasn't bad, but it just felt inauthentic. And I was like, hmm, that feels weird. Like, why is this brand so far removed from this person? And it feels like it gets lost in the sea where everything looks the same and it could easily not if it just really leaned into this person and their truth. So that was mm-hmm. my third home moment. And then the big one, the like kick in the ass. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse, but... Yeah, you can. <laughs> okay, great. Because um, I don't know if you watch, but um, I do. I try not to. Uh, that's a, that's a, I actually don't try not to. Um, but, you know, if I'm told not to, I, I make a, a very good effort. But my last aha moment was the pandemic. So mm. I already knew in the back of my mind, I knew the name of the brand, of the business. I knew everything that I wanted it to be. And then the pandemic happened and black and brown women got laid off in record numbers more than any mm-hmm. other demographic. black and brown women were getting laid off. And instead of staying down and, and, and waiting to collect the check from the government or whatever, black and brown women said, this will never happen to me again. I'm going to start a business. And that's mm-hmm. when I said, okay, now's my chance because these women are going to need someone who can help them, who can help them start their business and build brands that really speak to who they are and really speak to audiences and really empower them. They want, they're going to need partners that empower them to show up as themselves. Because when you look at entrepreneurship, it, it tells you that you have to be a certain way, especially Mm. the wave of girl boss and everything that it was. I think everybody thought they had to be a certain way, show up a certain way in order to be accepted in that space, which is bullshit. And I was like, I think this is my chance to do it, to help them. So that's when I was like, okay, am I ready? No, I don't think you're ever going to be ready. Right. When are you ever going to be ready? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I might might not be ready for it, but the world is ready for me. So I just need to do it. I hunched over in front of a computer for a month and learned everything there was to learn about CRM and about business because I knew writing. That was the other thing too. Is like, I was in a, a place in my career where I was like, I have all this knowledge from working with all these huge brands. I've built huge brands. I've built branding for Dunkin' Donuts and for Boeing and for all these huge brands. Why can't I take what I know and help women of color in their businesses and and queer Mm -hmm. people and just all these other underrepresented companies or underrepresented communities and help them build businesses the way that I'm helping these rich white guys get richer and whiter or whatever. Yeah. So, um, so that was the final, like, all right, I got to do it. And that's when I finally did it. But again, like, I, it wasn't one aha moment. By the time the pandemic came, I already knew it needed to happen. It was something I had mm-hmm. already started thinking about in the pandemic when when I saw the, the way that women were being just completely displaced. I was like, okay, it's either now or never. Like, if I don't do it now, then I'm not about the shit that I say I'm about. So I, I did it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love your thought about, like, giving it a name in our last episode, uh, we talked with uh, Toby Agbuna, and he was saying, if you can just give it a name, you're more likely to pursue it because it has, like, its own, you know, purpose and you have more of a vision of it. Do you think that kind of helped you with, like, putting a name to it? I'm going to tell you something. Naming, to me, is so important. 
this all the time because I think it's something that people, it's the same thing with copy, naming copy. People really treat it as an afterthought. They don't realize the power that it, it, it holds when you name your business because now it's tangible. Now it's its own entity, right? Like I think a lot of people are like, I'll just name it after myself or I'll just you know, whatever, I'll just, it, it'll just be my name and I don't want to give it a name. But when you don't do that, one, I think that's a scarcity mentality that's speaking, mm. right? When you, when you refuse to name something, it's because you in your heart or in your mind don't believe that you're capable of owning an entity, of being in charge of an entity. So instead you keep it to yourself, you keep it personal, but when you name it, it becomes its own thing. And a hundred percent, I agree a hundred percent with that because and that's why, I mean, naming is so powerful because of that, because you're able to say, look at this thing that I'm building. It's outside of me now. It's its own entity. And I think it's super powerful. And I love naming. I always call naming our, our, my favorite service that no one uses. I say that to everybody because I think everybody thinks it's just like, oh, well, I like these two words or I like this and this is a thing that I enjoy. But there's such a science to it that I'm obsessed with. And I'm just like mm-hmm. a name nerd and I am obsessed with it. <laughs> Yeah. And it's okay if you choose a name at first and as you're like going through the planning process to like tweak it or change it a little bit more. I think that's kind of the the process of creating a business, but let's kind of get into you and more about your story. So I love chatting with founders kind of about the power of pivoting, right? And you actually wanted to go to law school and then you pivoted to portfolio school. Can you tell us kind of why you made this change and what does this experience teach you about pivoting in life or in your career? Yeah. So pivoting is something that it's just like, for me, I actually think law school was the pivot, right? Mm. Because I think about it and I was always a writer, always, 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 always. Until right before I went up to college, what I wanted to do was write tv shows and write films and i wanted to do that for a living and i just felt that every step of the way i was discouraged from doing it and not not by my mom or my you know my family at all but just by like society right when i graduated i wanted i went into school as a film major and i went into a program that ended up getting dissolved as I, my first semester there, the the film program got dissolved and I was like, wait, wow. no. And then they were like, no, now you're a communications major. And I was like, no, the fuck I'm not. That's not what I want to do. So then I transferred to a different school. And in that school, I was an English major because their, the way they did it was like their, their English program had a film track, right? So it wasn't, mm-hmm. you were a film major, you were an English major. And I was like, great. I love English. I love writing. Like that makes sense to me. And I remember the first meeting I had, they said, welcome to the English department. You get to pick a track, film, creative writing, which was like writing for children's books and things like that and poetry or law. And I was like, that's weird. But the way they position it was you can be a starving artist or you can be a starving artist or you could be a lawyer. And mm-hmm. I think just having so much here, having just heard so much the the narrative of like, starving artist, starving artist. It's hard to be a writer. You're never going to make money. And then having the guilt that came from nowhere, but myself, but the guilt of thinking, wow, my mom left her family, raised two daughters on her own in this country where she didn't know the language, worked one out, you know, worked odd jobs for me to be a starving artist. And I couldn't reconcile it. So then I said, listen, with law, I can help people. 
it i can i can find a purpose in it it's something that i love i can speak i love writing i love rhetoric i can debate the fuck out of anything i had been on the debate team so i knew that it was something that i could do and i said well why not and then that was kind of amplified when i did a program called guardian at litem where you get to serve as the as the person who who speaks up in court for children who don't have someone to speak on their behalf right so mm-hmm. you can serve as a representative for these children and that kind of fueled me that I was like, I can do this. Like it was hard because you get attached to these children, but I was like, I can actually make a difference in this career path. And that mattered to me. So I went all in, I went all in and I was like, I'm going to go to law school. It's what I'm going to do. I, I know that I could be good at this. I know that it's something that I love. So I did it. I, you know, did the LSAT, got into the schools. I did all the things you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then my grandfather got sick. And it kind of railroaded everything. And I was like, wait, my mom, who is a nurse, um, we decided that she would quit her job and take care of him full time because he just wasn't, he had Alzheimer's. And Mm -hmm. so he was so confused about who everyone was that he needed full time care. But we knew that bringing in another person would be so confusing for him. So my mom quit her job and I said, okay, I'll defer law school for a bit until, you know, we feel that we're okay and we figure out what we're going to do as a family. And in that time, I was very lucky to work at a place that let me work in the accounting office and I got to work as an accountant for a long time. And what happened there was that I met lawyers that were the most Mm -hmm. miserable fucking people I had ever met. They were just so miserable. And I remember seeing them and being like, wow, I cannot imagine that life for my, for myself. And I always say this to everybody, but my sister is my best friend. I talk to her every day. She lives in Miami. I'm in San Francisco, but literally I talk to her every single day of my life. And she constantly is like, I can't tell you how happy I am that you didn't become a lawyer because you would be such a cold hearted bitch. And I honestly believe that that's true. I believe that that's something that just wasn't for me. And, but then I was like, well, shit, I'm 24 years old. I've put off going back to school because what was supposed to be a year turned into three, I was supposed to go back to law school. And then I was like, well, shit, what do I do? What do I do? I know that that's not what I want. I know that it's not what I want. It's what I'm set up for. I could just go, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't what I wanted. And I was very lucky that my brother-in-law who worked in advertising, he would always be working on stuff. And I'd be like, what are you doing? What's that? You know? And I was very curious and he knew a lot about how I was very creative. And one day he said to me, have you ever thought about going to ad school? And I was like, what's that? He's like, yeah. hey, you're a copywriter. And I was like, no, I just told you, I don't want anything to do with law. He's like, no, 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 it has nothing to do with law. He's like, it's about writing. So I was very lucky that the portfolio program that I wanted to go to, that they had a class that you can sit in. And it was wild because up until then, I thought that film writing was the only kind of writing that I was really attracted to because I... I hate poetry. It's just not for me. I'm down to go into like spoken word, but like, I'm not like, I don't really care for, for poetry. And Mm -hmm. I never, my dream was never to write a book, right? Like I wasn't that writer. And then, so I was like, well, where do I fit in? I know I'm a writer, but I don't feel like one because I don't have the same aspirations as the writers that I see. I didn't want to write for newspapers. That didn't sound like what I wanted to do. I just liked writing films and writing short little, you know, I wrote plays and I I liked writing little quips for the, for the yearbook. And I knew that I enjoyed that. So I was like, where do I fit in? 
And I sat in on one class. You get to sit in on a class to see if you want to join the program. And I will never mm -hmm. forget it. The class was called Short and Sweet, taught by a man called Patrick Buchanan. He doesn't know it, but he changed my life. And wow. I was there 20 minutes. And I swear to you, I said this. And I, I said, I can't believe that no one told me this existed. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And no one told me. No one ever mentioned to me, hey, you know that you could be a copywriter, that you can write songs and poetry and 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 just quick little tweets and all kinds of writing and i was like wow that's wild but i knew instantly instantly i was like uh immediately yes immediately yes yeah. I what I needed to be. um yeah. it was instant i applied the second i got home i got into the program um and that's you know i think for me the pivot was that i had no other choice and I did, I had the choice to go become a lawyer, but that wasn't a choice for me anymore. You know, like the, the choice was be miserable or, or start fresh. And it was hard because, you know, then I had to tell everybody, Hey, by the way, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. And that was a hard pill to swallow. You know, yeah. my mom was very supportive, but, um, she's a very supporting mom, but having built her up to think that she was going to have a lawyer daughter and then telling her, just kidding. You know, that was, yeah. It, that was hard for her to kind of come to terms with. And even for me, the idea that I was like, I, I prepared myself that I was going to be a lawyer. And I saw the friends that I was going to school with who were like going to law school and graduated and becoming lawyers. And I was just like, oh, shit, you know, but like maybe I messed up. So it was hard, but I knew it. I knew it. I knew it in my soul that I had to do it. So for me, the pivot was was not optional. You know, I, I mm -hmm. had to do it. I had to do it. It's the best thing I ever did. Yeah. And what has kind of pivoting taught you in life or like a career? Like, is it easier for you now to like make a change or, you know, switch up routines or your, your path now? Yeah. So I am a Virgo stellium. I have five Virgo placements. So I am very, a plan oriented person when I have a plan okay. and things don't go according to it. I short circuit a little. And, uh, I think that having my life plan, <laughs> pulled out from under me was kind of a, a wake up call. And I think from there, I just, I'm a little, I'm, I would say a lot more flexible about everything. Cause after that, I was just like, look, this one change led me here. So then I said, well, then another thing that happened was I was in school and you're able to take, you're able to do one year is all school. And the second year is all, um, internships. And I remember when I first started, there were internships that were like across the country or even that seemed interesting, but there were some that were across the world. And I was mm. always like, oh, I couldn't do that. I would never do that. I ended up going to Japan and I, I applied wow. and I got it and I said, okay, then I'll go to Japan. And then I got a job in Chicago. So then I moved to Chicago and then I got a job in San Francisco. Then I moved to San Francisco and it's kept me very flexible. Um, it's kept me, you know, it's made me see that plans are not permanent you know wow they're, they're kind of like guides and it's nice to go that way but sometimes when you when you have to pivot you have to pivot and I think a lot of us get so caught up on what the plan is that we forget to look around and be like but is this working you mm. know and and knowing that just because you have a plan doesn't mean that there's another plan that's better out there and I've seen other people you know I work in groups where sometimes I have a plan and someone suggests something better and I'm like yeah let's do that and mm -hmm. I think that that's what life does to us sometimes. Sometimes life says, well, there's a better plan. And you're like, all right, let's do that. So Exactly. And I feel like I'm definitely the same. I think of my life, I think of it as a very particular way. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've learned is that there's different ways to live 
your life, right? There's different paths you can take and there's a lot of freedom in knowing that there's different paths. You're not just shackled to one path. Um, so let's kind of chat about um, you currently being a copy director at an extremely large company um, and then also being the founder um, of Oxford Comic Collective. How do you balance uh, your day job and also being a founder? Was that I decided that I was so creatively fulfilled and so happy with Oxford Comic that I didn't need to be at an agency anymore because I got to do the thing I loved. And then I got this opportunity to work in tech. And that was for me the best thing because then I was in a really great place in my career. And so I got this opportunity in tech and I got to kind of set my parameters where I said, well, I have a company and I want to make sure that I'm able to run it. So work-life balance really matters to me. I was mm. upfront about that from the beginning and they know that. So, and they were super respectful about it. In fact, they asked me all the time about Oxford comma. They're all super supportive. Aww. I love it. Yeah. You know, so I think that helped. I think when I was in advertising, a lot of times people were like, well, it feels like you're competing with the agency. And I'm like, well, I'm not, mm. but it felt a little more like an, an, they were not as understanding about my business. So I think that was another shift was, being selective and being open with whatever job that I had so that they knew that Oxford comma was a priority for me. Um, and so it was, so I think those two things have really helped me with balance. I, I'm going to be honest and say, I'm not perfect. I still, I have a lot of, I'm still balancing a lot. You know, I have a team of 22 people. Um, wow. Yeah. That's we're, a lot. We're, it is, it is. And, <laughs> and I think what, what has helped me is say, is understanding my boundaries and knowing when I just can't do this anymore. Right. Mm. I, I try to do as much as I can. I juggle as many things. And then at one point when I feel like, okay, something's going to fall, I say, okay, then I got to hand that off to someone else. And having that, you know, being able to recognize that has helped me because, you know, first it started with handing things off to my sister. Then our social media had gotten so, you know, with us, it's, I don't have a million followers. We don't have a million followers, but the followers that we do have, our community. I speak to these people. Yes. I welcome every single person who follows us. I speak to them. And that's true. You, you DM'd me, right? When I followed you, I was like, wow, this is nice. Cause that that's rare. Yeah. And it matters to yeah. me, right? Because it matters to me that I have that connection with people and, you know, we, we audit our followers. We don't let just anyone follow us. We're not really chasing a character or, or a follower count. For me, I just mm -hmm. want a community of people that feel like they resonate and they want to be there and they're going to gain something from following us. So the, you know, but it, it's a lot to manage when you're building a community that way. So then I got a community manager for social media who kind of helps me tag team and helps me respond to people. And, you know, I'm very transparent about that. I'm never, I never pretend that it's me when it's her, like whenever it's her, she signs it as herself, but mm. that's been super helpful too. Right. So that was the next thing I was like, social is getting to be a lot. And then, then we hired an in-house designer to help me. And then we brought in a PM to help and manage the project. So, you know, it's just, it's just, Working until you feel like, okay, my cup is full. Now I need to pour it into someone else's cup so that I can mm. make more, more room in my own. So that is how I've been functioning. And I think it's, it's what helps me and, and with people that I trust, right? Like experience matters so much, but also for me, it matters that it's a, a person that I can trust that I can say, okay, mm -hmm. you know, and that's hard for me. Cause like I said, Virgo study, I'm uh, yeah. <laughs> being hands off and handing them things off is hard, but hiring yeah. writers who I trust to be self-sufficient, hiring project managers who I feel can, can really 
need projects and, and I don't feel like I have to be involved in, in micromanaging. Micromanagement is not my style. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very hands off with my team. I have meetings with them and I guide them and I'm available to them whenever they need me. But I think for myself, it's what's helping me kind of juggle everything. And then for the team, I think it's what helps them grow and become better at what they do when they're not just like constantly being micromanaged. Mm-hmm. And how do you ensure, like, as you start to like outsource some of like, you know, the different responsibilities of Oxford Comedy Collective that, you know, the mission and vision and all of it stays aligned? So I hire for mission and vision, right? I can teach people how to do work. I can teach mm-hmm. people how to use Dubsado. I can teach people how to become better writers. I can't make anyone a better person. So for me, mm-hmm. the, the the values of the company are always at the forefront. I, every time I interview someone, I make it clear that we are not writers. We are advocates who use words to advocate for people, right? And I make that super clear because it matters to me, right? Like what we're doing to me is an act of advocacy. It's It's helping people build something in a space where they weren't allowed to build it before. Right. Mm. So for me, it matters that I work with people and everyone, everyone who I work with believes in that. And and it's great because I think people come to us because of that. When they come to apply, you know, even when we're not hiring, when we're when we don't have an, an application open, people are, are inquiring to work with us. And I think it has a lot to do with our values. Our values are very much at the forefront. I talk about that. I also do the interviews personally. You know, okay. I I screen for skills. And then I interview for values because that matters. So, you know, I have a list of, of skills that I would like you to have and I lay them all out with the interview. And then I go through your application and I say, okay, if you fit perfectly, you're green. If you fit, if you, if you're close, but not quite, you're yellow. And if not, you're red, Mm -hmm. that's the way I do it with every single bucket. And then I look for all the like greens and yellows and then I will read through everything and then I'll you know that's my process and it helps yeah because then I sit with someone and I always tell them like this is in an interview I just want to get to know you I just want to get to know you and what you're about and why you want to work for us I already mm-hmm. know your skills you told me that in an application I don't need you to sit here and read me your resume for an hour you know so I think yeah. that's what's helped me just identify the right people and you know it's not always right there are misses um but I'm not afraid to be wrong so you know, if I'm wrong, uh, I'm very transparent with my team. When I've made mistakes, I'll tell them. And if I made a mistake in hiring someone, I'll be honest with that person too. But I'm always transparent about everything through my mm-hmm. hiring process. I tell people even, and I always say this, but even if I don't choose someone, I will always let them know why, you know, I don't wow. ghost people. I always get back to every single person who applies and say, Hey, and say, Hey, thank you so much for your application. We didn't choose you for this reason or whatever. Right. And sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's just, we were looking for something else. Sometimes it's skill set. Sometimes it's that honestly, we interviewed someone who was just so good before we got to your interview that we had to hire them, Mm. you know, and I'm honest about that always. Yeah. And it seems like mission and vision obviously is at the core of who you hire, but that's also at the core of the clients that you choose to work with. So can you tell us a bit about the process of what it looks like to partner uh, with your company? So like what services do you offer and how do you determine which companies that you will partner with? Yeah. So I was talking about this recently, I think on Instagram, but I, I, what I love about Oxford comma is that I think we're in a, we're, a, we're in a place right now where every person who inquires is our dream client. Like I think wow. when you first start, it's hard because you're still trying to position yourself out in the world. But 
I've always understood the power of a brand voice. I've always understood how important positioning is and, and core values were because of my work in advertising and understanding about building brands. And then I was also, I was incredibly clear about my mission and my purpose and all that stuff. So my brand showed up that way from day one. And I think that that helps us already weed out a lot of people, right? The people mm -hmm. who are like, oh, you curse. It's unprofessional. Cool. I don't want to work with you. So bye. Right. <laughs> or the people who are like, oh, oh my God, I can't believe they spoke out about this. Cool. I don't want to work with you. Bye. Right. Like the, mm -hmm. the way we show up does a lot of the weeding out for us. And then by the time they get to us, it's a matter of, do they have the budget? Do they have, is the project aligned with the kind of work we do? And does the, the timeline <laughs> fit with what we need to do? Right. So I think something that, that helps is is that it's the way we show up in our, our brand voice. So what we do and our full, full transparency, when we started, we were a full service writing studio. So we were doing all kinds of stuff. We were doing poems and we were doing uh, uh, editing for books and all kinds of stuff, right? But what I found was that where we were really shining and where I could bring the most of myself mm -hmm. was in the branding aspect. So we made a pivot, pivot. And away. <laughs> that's the magic <laughs> word. We shifted away from full service to just working with brands and businesses to help them build brands. Because again, that's where I felt that we were the best. Yeah. Right? So now what we do is we do naming brand voice, web copy. That's kind of our bread and butter. That's what most people come to us for. But then we also do all other kinds of brand community, brand communications content. So we do email, social blog, we have like a launch sequence if you're launching a product where we do that start to finish for you. So we have a lot of ways that you can work with us to help you build your brand. We also have consultation services, which is nice. You have a service where mm -hmm. you can uh, sit with me for an hour and we literally are co-working. I'm sharing my screen and it's like a, a working session between you and I where we're crafting whatever piece of copy that you bring. We have our Comadre Club, which is our monthly subscription, which is great for like writers who are just getting started and want a second mm. pair of eyes for business owners who are writing their own copy, but can't really afford to have a writer on full time, but they want someone to kind of help guide them um, for social media managers who are writing the copy for their clients, but really want to make sure that it's just, you know, they're not copywriters. Social media managers are not copywriters. So it's for those kind of people who are kind of doing all the work on their own and they have a monthly subscription and they can, they have their Trello board where they can drop in questions at any time. And then mm -hmm. they have a writer who is answering those questions real time and helping them real time. And then they get either one 60 minute call or two 30 minute calls where you sit live with a writer and kind of work through whatever piece wow. of copy that you have going on that month. Um, so it's a nice service because it's ongoing and you always need copy for your business. There's always mm -hmm. emails and social posts. There are so many communications. You never don't need copywriting, right? But you can't, it's not feasible to say, I'm going to have a writer on staff all the time, especially for small businesses, right? Because yeah. Copy is expensive, rightfully so, but it is expensive. And um, that's not always accessible to everyone. And again, for me, accessibility is huge. So Yeah. And even when I was writing like the blurb for like this podcast, right? Like I was like, hold up. I am not a professional writer. Just to, you want to make it sound like witty and fun and not too long, but not too short. That's definitely a talent. And I think not a lot of people really might realize that. They just think everyone's just kind of, you know, writing it up in their in their house. But it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of talent to get it right. Yeah. And and it's funny because that's why the the 
the craft and the art of writing is so degraded because we're all taught how to write, right? But what no one understands is that even if you were the best at writing a scholastic article or a scholarly article or whatever it is, that doesn't mean that you're good at writing your brand copy. That doesn't mean that you're going to be good at writing blogs. That doesn't mean that you're going to be good at writing social media copy, right? Because all those spaces are different and there's so much more that goes into, you have to understand the platform. You have to understand the audience. You have to understand the goal. The goal is different no matter where you're showing up. People don't get that. People just think, well, I know how to put words on a paper and I know the words that are in my brain. So why do I need someone else to do it? And it's because it is a skill. It is an art. It is a muscle that needs to be exercised and not everybody has yes. it, right? Like not everybody has abs. Well, no, not everybody has the, the, the muscle that <laughs> you're a good writer. So yeah. And it seems like Oxford Comma Collective has a lot of them. So <laughs> hopefully some companies will definitely be reaching out to you. And um, so diversity of thought is obviously important in every industry, but especially in the copywriting space. Can you explain to listeners why it is so important to have diverse voices within the world of copywriting? Yeah, actually, someone recently said this to me. They said a group of people that think the same as a cult, a group of people who think differently mm-hmm. as a community. Mm-hmm. It, but I was like, that's it. That's the thing. I love that. Right. Because, and I say this all the time when I onboard my writers, I say like-minded people. But when I say like-minded, I don't mean that we all think the same. I want people to challenge me. As a matter of fact, I, uh, um, I recently was talking to my PM and all of our communications, we say women. I'm actually very, very adamant about using the word women. And in one of our comms, we said female which is a term that I don't like to use. And she was like, can I ask why you said that? And I was like, it's wrong. It's incorrect is why it's there. And thank you for calling me out. But I need that. I want that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know everything. And I think that that's why you need diversity of thought because no one knows everything. No one, there isn't one single person who knows all of the things and is going to be right about everything. And to think that is vain and and, and narcissist right and i'm not that person i know that i'm always learning and the way that i know that is if i look at myself a year ago two years ago ten years ago i'm a different person you know why yep because i surrounded myself with people who showed me how to think differently and then of Mm -hmm. course i have my own mind and i can formulate my own thoughts but those thoughts are shaped by the people i surround myself with and i think i'm gonna use this as an example but i think it's the reason why i am so such an advocate of diversity of thought I'm from Mm -hmm. Miami, Florida. I like to call Miami, Florida a bubble. Okay. I didn't meet a white person probably until I was, when I left to college. Right. Because everybody in Miami is a, is, is Latino or black. Right. Like it's a very diverse place. There are white people in in Miami. I'm not saying there aren't, but you know, and that maybe what I'm saying is an exaggeration, but really I had never experienced feeling like an other in my entire life. I felt like I was Mm -hmm. in this bubble. And the minute, the second that I reached somewhere else that was not Miami, Florida, I was like, whoa, wait, there are people, yeah, I was like, there are people that one, see me as an other, which I had never understood before. But then now that I'm outside of Miami, Florida, I understand that that was a bubble and I see the way that people in Miami think. Right. And I think Miami is always like seen as this very diverse place. And I love Miami. It's, it's, it's home, but I think it really, there is no diversity of thought Mm. for me. And the only time that you do see diversity of thought is people who left and came back. 
Yeah. Right. Because everyone else is very much in their in their Latinidad, uh, in, in, in the culture that they are never having to step away from because no one is challenging it because everybody yeah. there looks the same. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think diversity of thought really is the key. And I bet it's definitely the key when you're writing copy for different businesses with different visions, different missions, different all the yes. things. You definitely need people that are pulling from different perspectives. And, uh, and that's why Oxford Comma was built the way it was built, right? Mm -hmm. like, I can write whatever the fuck I want. I And I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm the best writer in the world, but I know my skills and I know that I can write for any brands. I have literally written for Dunkin' Donuts and Boeing. Tell me two more opposite brands, right? Like one yeah. is a government contract business and the other is donuts and coffee and levity, mm -hmm. and right? I can write anything, but am I the best person to write everything? No. And that's why Oxford comma, our entire, the basis of our business is, is relatability, is saying that I can write whatever, but I have a writer who really understands you and can sit with you and have and have a connection with you that I can't, and they are the better person. You know why? Because not only are they a good writer, but they understand you. And I think that yep. that's super important, especially when you're trying to capture someone's voice, someone's essence, right? Because if you're just guessing, because you don't know, you're, you're really just seeing it on what they know. But when you have a shared understanding and a shared knowledge and you have your own understanding of it, you can actually write better to it. So that's the whole premise of Oxford comma. Yes. And I love it. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Um, so to kind of close out this episode, it's been so good learning more about you, your story, um, Oxford comma collective. I want you to kind of leave eat all of the listeners with really just your key piece of advice that you would want to give someone that wants to start their own business. I think a lot of people say just start, which is true. That's what I do. Just start. But I would say, do it because you love it. <laughs> because I think a lot of people go into business because they hate where they are. And mm. they go into business because they don't want to work for someone else. And those are all great reasons. But if you go into a business that you also hate, now you have to make that business work. And then that's when you catch yourself in this like situation where you're doing work that you don't want to do, where you're, and you're, and it's worse because it's your livelihood. You're not just like, you can't check out. You have to be there. You're the, the boss of it. So do it because you love it. Do the thing that mm -hmm. you really enjoy doing. And but if you that. don't love it, if you don't have a real purpose in what you're doing, you're just switching over to another boss. The boss just happens to be you. So it's more responsibility mm. doing something that you do not want to do. So don't That's do it. That's so true. And, and a lot of people say, oh, I don't want to work for anyone else. I want to, you know, I can never, you know, answer to anyone else. But in any job that you have, you're going to have to answer to someone, whether it's your boss or the client, you're going to have to answer to someone. Yes. And it's so right. If you're going to start your own business, you better be so in love with it and so dedicated to see it through. Yeah. And have a, have a reason. And, and mm -hmm. I'm going to two part this. And my second thing is know who your audience is. Stop trying to talk to everybody. Be polarizing. I think, especially when you're starting off, people are like, I want to talk to everyone because it, you know, I don't want to polarize anyone because you're so desperate to work with people. Do not work with everyone ever. Mm -hmm. Do not work with everyone. I would rather people do free work for the people that they want to work with and get that and build themselves up that way than to ever, ever, ever. And I am not an advocate for free work. I think, uh, I think unpaid internships are bullshit, all that, but I would rather somebody do free work for a client that they love and would love to work with than to yeah. do paid work for someone who they hate, because then that person is paying you. They own you. 
Mm. Then you have to do work for that. And then it's like selling your soul. So know who you want to talk to. Know, do the research, do the due diligence to figure out who you want to talk to. Yeah. And, and you're so right on the figure out who your audience is, you know, get super particular and super niche and hone in on them. You don't have to talk to everyone. Yeah. And you don't have to stay there. If you go into a niche and say, wow, I don't love this, then pivot. <laughs> You're not stuck mm-hmm. here. You're not a tree move, but start somewhere, start somewhere, really do the research and do yourself, do the due diligence for yourself to figure out who you do want to work with and who you don't want to work with. Do the research. It's a lot. It's hard work. And having to have conversations with people and sending people coffee to say, hey, what kind of stuff do you like to do? And figuring that out. But I promise it'll be worth it if you, you know, versus just trying to work with everyone. That never works. Yep. You heard it here. It will all be worth it. <laughs> and yes, it's been so nice chatting with you today um, and learning all about pivoting, being a founder, all the things. So how can listeners get in contact with you? How can they, uh, you know, go to Oxercomma Collective? How can they work with you? Let us know all the details. Yeah. So we did this great thing that both our social media handles and our website are oxfordcomma.co. So you can follow us on Instagram. And again, if you DM us, it, it is me and my community manager back there. So you'll, you'll get to talk to me directly. And if you know, I'm on, we're on Twitter, oxfordcomma.co and then our website, oxfordcomma.co. And that's how you can find out about our services and apply to work with us. Um, we're still booking some Q2 dates, uh, really getting into Q3, but you know, if anyone's interested in working with us, those are the best ways to find us. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Yes. This was so fun. Thank Thank you you for joining. I appreciate you. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest updates, make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at The Diversified Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Bye.